0: Tonight's reading is from Genesis 30, verse 25. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me on my way, so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children, for whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. You know how much work I have done for you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learnt by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, Name your wages, and I will pay them. Jacob said to him, You know how I have worked for you, and how your livestock has fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I do something? "'for my own household. "'What shall I give you?' he asked. "'Don't give me anything,' Jacob replied. "'But if you will do this one thing for me, "'I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. "'Let me go through all your flocks today "'and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, "'every dark-coloured lamb, "'and every spotted or speckled goat. "'They will be my wages and my honesty will testify for me in the future. Whenever you check on the wages you have paid me, any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted, or any lamb that is not dark-coloured, will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban, let it be as you have said. That same day he removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted and all the speckled or spotted females, all that had white on them, and all the dark-coloured lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob, while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Jacob, however, took fresh-cut branches from poplar, almond and plane trees, and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peeled branches in the watering troughs, so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they it in front of the branches, and they bore young that were streaked or speckled or spotted. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves, but made the rest face the streaked and dark-coloured animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so they wouldn't mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. In this way the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and maidservants and men servants, and camels and donkeys. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all his wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. The Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude towards me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said, The speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said, The streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob. I answered, Here I am. And he said, Look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once, and go back to your native land. Then Rachel and Leah replied, Do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but has used up the, what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels, and he drove all his livestock ahead of him, along with all the goods he had accumulated in Padanaram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. When Laban had gone to share his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban, the man, by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had, and crossing the river, he headed for the hill country of Gilead. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob for seven days, and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Then God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream, at night, and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him, and Laban and his relatives camped there too. Then Laban said to Jacob, "'What have you done? You've deceived me, and you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy?' and singing to the sound of music and tambourines and harps. You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You have done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. But last night, the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone off because you longed to return to your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid, because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if you find anyone who has your gods, he shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourself whether there is anything of yours here with me, and if so, take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent, and into the tent of the two maidservants, but he found nothing. After he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods, and put them inside her camel saddle, and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent, but found nothing. Rachel said to her father, "'Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I am having my period.' So he searched, but he could not find the household gods. This is the word of God.
1: Father, we're so very grateful that you're a speaking God because we need you to speak. Father, however we arrive here this evening, if we are proud and need humbling, if we are downcast and need lifting, Father, however we we arrive here, you're a speaking God, words that transform us, shape us. So please would your spirit be active, giving us understanding into this odd story and how it applies to us today. And therefore, would we respond with greater depth of trust in you and love for you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are joining us tonight, um, where have you been? Uh, we're looking at the life of Jacob and these chapters 25 to 35, and it's better than any soap opera. Uh, they are a ridiculous family. They keep doing all sorts of things uh, wrong. Uh, they are immoral and bizarre and uh, fruit loops at times. Uh, so it makes for a great read. It's a great narrative uh, to look at. But the point really is not so much the characters. The point is the God behind them. So it's very clear in the section, from chapter 25 onwards. God makes soups, He's gone. God makes promises that will not let sinners go. It is purely a work of His grace, his unmerited kindness, that anyone is a believer, that anyone will get to know him, that anyone will get to be with him in eternity. That is purely of His grace, his unmerited kindness to us. So the story of these chapters 25 to 35 is an utterly dysfunctional family, and yet despite them, God will achieve his purposes, even through sinful people. Uh, You see that again tonight. Uh, Tonight is a tale of two thieves, these uh, these men Laban and Jacob. Uh, They're both scoundrels, really. Uh, But God still is achieving his purposes in what's going on here. It's a tale of two thieves, kind of. Now, those sort of films or narratives, they're quite entertaining to watch, aren't they? Things such as, if you watched Hustle, Gang of Thieves, but you like them because they only steal from nasty people, they're the sort of modern Robin Hoods. Or perhaps, um, uh, perhaps more commonly known, something like The Ocean's Eleven, uh, George Clooney and his gang of beautiful people. Um... Uh, they're, they're, they're robbers, aren't they? They're going to rob a big bank in Las Vegas. But the way the film works, a bit like this, of course, like many heist sort of films work. For the first, whatever it is, two hours of the film, you get one perspective. But then the last 15 minutes changes everything. So for two hours of the film, all goes well, it's all very good. But then, oh, the bad guys, if you remember it, the bad, is sorry, the... um. George Clooney, the beautiful people, let's call them that. The beautiful people are stuck in the bank vault and they get shot and all killed by a SWAT team. And so nasty Andy Garcia wins and beats gorgeous George. And so, um, oh, well, we've watched two hours of this stuff and it's gone badly. That's a bit disappointing. Fear not. All is well in Hollywood. Uh, so of course the last, the last 15 minutes of the film, you, sort of, you rewind, and you see slightly different things. Little bits of the narrative that, what's that got to do with anything? Oh, I don't know. Um, oh, you go back to them. And of course you realize it's all, uh, it's all a fake. That gorgeous George and the beautiful people, they are the SWAT team. And so they pretend to kill. And then they walk out with all the money in their bags, and gorgeous George gets the money. Nasty Andy Garcia. Grr is frustrated, and um, loses the girl. So Julia Roberts goes off into the sunset um, with George Clooney. Hurrah! All is well. All is well. But of course in that, you get for two hours essentially one take on the film. And of course the director is clever, so he makes you think this is what's going on. But the last 15 minutes you go, Oh, okay. Now I see what was happening. All is well. It's a happy ending. There is somewhat of that going on here in uh, Genesis uh, chapters 30, 31. Essentially what you get in chapter 30 is, I guess, the natural view. We get the human perspective on what's taking place. But then chapter 31, you, we get, as it were, the director's cut. And God reveals, no, 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 no what you thought was going on. <laughs> Jacob's barking mad, strip the bark fertility scheme what you thought was actually doing the good, nonsense. Let me show you the director's cut and what was really going on here. And hurrah, Laban the bad guy loses. And a happy ending, kind of, as it were. So that's how it works. So we're largely going to look at it in um, all our time, pretty much, is these first two points. So chapter 30, we see the schemes of Jacob bring success. That's what we see. Chapter 30, verses 25 to 43. But then secondly... The Lord reveals he's the source of success in chapter 31. So it is essentially a great screenplay there for anyone who wants to make it in the offing. Okay. We see one thing, but then the Lord reveals genuinely what's been taking place. Okay, let's take the bit turn. So uh, first of all, uh, chapter 30, verses 25 to 43. Uh, we see the schemes of Jacob bring success. Let's pick it up then, uh, chapter 30 and verse 25. So, uh, chapter 30, verse 25, after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my homeland. Hey, I've worked for you for 14 years. You've diddled me out of seven years of my life because if you were here last, light, last night, no, last week... Uh, there was wife swap, uh, not the modern equivalent, but um, uh, Laban put the wrong woman uh, deliberately in Jacob's bed. So he's had to work for 14 years for these two wives. I'll tell you what, Laban, I've worked for 14 years for you. I've got no money. I'm a bit fed up, if the truth be told. I pr- must be in my late 50s by now. I really want to start earning some money. Okay, Laban says to him, verse 27, Oh, um... If I found favour in your eyes, please stay. I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. I don't know what's going on there, but Laban has been looking at his tea leaves. didn't really need to, but he's been looking at his tea leaves and worked out the reason that his flocks have grown enormously is because the Lord is blessing Jacob. Laban is shrewd enough to see that. So, he says, verse 28, name your wages and I'll pay them. Again, if you were here last week, Laban is all about the money. He's all about the money. He doesn't care about family. This is his nephew, who has married two of his daughters. It's complicated if you weren't here. Um, but his nephew married two of his daughters, worked for free for 14 years. How about a golden handshake? No, no, let's make a deal, says Laban. Uh, Jacob says to him, well, look, i tell you what, I just want to go now, verse 30. The little I had before I came has increased greatly. The Lord has blessed you wherever I've been. Come on, give me some money. Verse 31, what shall I give you? Well, okay. And Jacob thinks to himself, 14 years ago we struck a deal. And I agreed to work for a little bit for Rachel and you diddled me. So let's let's try another approach. So essentially the deal they strike is, verse 32, i get to tell you what, I'll go through the flocks and take out all the spotty sheep. Now, classically, of the time, you'd expect sheep just to be one color. Maybe 10% of the flock would be spotty or stripy. So Jacob is saying, okay, here's how it works. I'll look after your flocks for you, but 10% are mine. If the flock grows, you make money, I make money. If it shrinks, we both make a loss. But you know that I'm doing pretty well. I'm a hard worker and God blesses me. This is a good deal for you. Laban says, yes, 10%, I can write that down. Deal. Six more years of working for me and uh, that'll work out nicely. Thank you very much, Jacob. And then they both cheat. So verse 34, agreed, says Laban, it's a deal. Then quickly gets his sons, right, all the spotty sheep, quick, get rid of them, get rid of them, and don't let Jacob see any of them. Take them three days away from here. Here's your flock, Jacob. Mmm, nice and pure, aren't they? 10% of, 10%, don't think so. How many spotty ones can you see? None. (laughs) Anyway, off you go, and all the spotty ones you can have, says Laban, because he's a cheat and a thief. But Jacob, Jacob's not to be thwarted. He's got the old strip-the-willow fertility treatment. Now, if you so desire, you can spend, as I have this week, quite a lot of time reading various theories about what's taking place here. How is it that strip the bark off poplar, almond uh, trees, plonk it in some water, get sheep to mate in front of it, how that can help? There are an enormous amount of theories, and lots is written about them. For my money, what I think is going on here is, it's bonkers. It's just ridiculous. It's pagan nonsense. It's superstition. No different to last week, where Rachel said, brilliant, give me some mandrake flowers and then I'll become fertile. No. It's just pagan nonsense. But Anyway, that's what Jacob does. But you read it all, I'm not going to read it through all again, it goes on and on and on about how you strip the willow and then you put the, whatever you put the stuff and then they drink it there and whatever. But the conclusion is verse 43. Very strange conclusion. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks. And maid servants, and men servants, and camels and donkeys. Presumably, his flocks grew quite happily, and so he traded uh, sheep for camels, and sheep for servants, etc., etc. But verse 43 is a very striking conclusion. Jacob strips the poplar, strips the arm, and puts it in the milking trough. Encourages people: "Off you go, you your sheep! Bleh, off you go." And um, the writer says, "In this way, because of this bizarre, barking mad, strip the bark." Fertility treatment. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and maid servants and men servants and camels and donkeys. Now, what is the application of that to you and me today? I hope you see, if you've just got chapter 30 on your, on its own, you've got a fairly curious story. Let's pretend. Thought experiment. Okay, you reach at the end of chapter 30. What does this mean for you and me today? Application. Thought experiment, not true. Application. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. Everyone cheats in the marketplace, and you've just got to be one step ahead. Laban cheated. Jacob was a better cheat. You've got to be one step ahead. Okay? Get out there tomorrow, plan, and beat your rival. Go to bed tonight and say, I will beat my rival. I will destroy the Labans in front of me tomorrow. Okay, it could be that. You could read this and on your way home, the first tree you passed, chop off a branch. <laughs> strip it off. And tomorrow, wave it over your computer. Or um, whatever it is, patient or pupil. Uh, Half term, isn't it? But um, you could you could try that and say, now I will be prosperous. Because a uh, or you could try that with another person. Think, I'm quite attracted to him, her, and, you know, wave it off, and um, see what happens. Or to do any of those things. Left on its own, this is just an extraordinary story. And you read and think, I don't know. I don't know. It's not on its own. You could watch a film for two hours and think, oh, Oh, is that it? No. So chapter 31, we get the director's cut. So uh, first thing, we see the schemes of Jacob bring success. That's what we see. But secondly, and here's where we spend our time, chapter 31, particularly 1 to 21, the Lord reveals he is the source of success all along. The the Lord reveals he's the source of success. A success. So let's pick it up from uh, chapter 31. Now Jacob is uh, he's not a daft man, he's shrewd. So uh, verse 1, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned, and has gained all the wealth that belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not what it had been. Oh dear, things are going to go a little bit awry. But then he gets... A message, verse 3, the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives. And this wonderful promise that Jacob keeps being given, despite the fact he's a rat, I will be with you. So, um, verse 4 downwards, pss, wives, yes, both of you this time, come on, stop arguing, come on, uh, pss, wives. Uh, and he sends for uh, Rachel and Leah, goes and meets them in the field, so Laban can't overhear what's going on. And in 5 to 9 is the crucial bit of interpretation we need. Here's what makes sense of everything else that's said. Verse 5. Jacob said to them, I see that your father's attitude towards me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, that your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. What's been going on? Verse 8. If God said, excuse me, if, um, if he, Laban, said, the speckled ones will be your wages, then God made all the flocks give birth to speckled young. And if he, Laban, said, the street ones will be your wages, then God made all the flocks bore street young. So I Added a little bit of interpretation, yes. Verse 9. So God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. That is what's been taking place here. God has been at work. Jacob recognizes it's nothing to do with the barking mad, strip-the-bark nonsense. God has been at work. Because, in fact, uh, verses 10 to 12, God, had given, God gives, gives him a dream to explain precisely that. So verse 10, in the breeding season, I once had a dream. I looked up, and the, 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 the sheep are mating, and the angel said, verse 12 in particular, look up and see that all the male goats mating with a flock of street, speckled or spotted, I've seen all the law that Laban has been doing to you. I am God the God of Bethel. I have given you your prosperity, Jacob. You've gone through this frankly bizarre routine with trying to get the sheep and the goats to mate. But to be honest, I've just been kind to you. I am the source of your success. Do you see there is quite a big difference between chapter 31, sorry, excuse me, chapter 30 verse 43, in this way, madcap fertility scheme, the man grew exceedingly prosperous, and chapter 31 verse 9, God has given. Do you see there's a real difference between those two? It is the Lord that brings success. Let me push this just in four directions. The first is this. We don't get to see the director's cut normally in life. We don't get to see that normally. It's a privilege here because we're told, chapter 30, here's what the human actors, or the the people in in normal life get to see. And then chapter 31, let's just draw back the curtain and here's actually what's going on. Here's the director's cut of what's taking place here. Now, for you and me, this week, month, this year, we'll see what's going on in life in front of us, but we don't get the director's cut. Not yet. So I take it there'll be scenarios for many of us that are going on at the moment, or have happened in the last year, or will go on in the next year, and we look at people and say, Why Why are they succeeding? Why would God let them prosper? They are immoral. They are abhorrent. Why would God allow that to take place? Because it looks like they're succeeding because of their immorality. We don't get to see the director's cut. We don't always know what God is doing. It may appear that madcap fertility schemes, in this case for sheep, work. Actually, God says, nothing to do with that. I've got other plans at work. We may look upon immoral, abhorrent person at work and think God is allowing them to prosper and succeed. I don't get it. God says, look, trust me. You don't get to see the director's cut. You don't get to see the last 15 minutes where it all turns out well. Not yet. Do you know what? When we get to heaven, when we stand ultimately in glory, then the film will get rewound. And we'll see it all from the Lord's perspective and we'll say, oh, that's very clever. That's very clever. I didn't pick up on that or that or that. And I thought we'd lost and the bad guys had won. But all the time, it's just a bluff. And the Lord knew what he was doing. But in the here and now, we don't get dreams from God saying, by the way, Jacob, this is what's really taking place. Don't expect them. We don't get to see the director's cut. But the Lord is at work. And he would say, in the meantime, trust him. Okay? There's the first thing. We don't get... The director's cut normally. Second is very obvious. Second success comes from the Lord. It's very obvious in this. Second, success comes from the Lord. Now, by God's grace, Jacob is spared from pride here. He could think, <laughs> yeah, well, look at me. No one ever thought of the barking mad strip the willow sheep fertility treatment before. I'll patent it. I'll become a millionaire. I shall take it to Dragon's Den. And golly, they'll pick this one up and run with it. He's spared from pride and thinking, I have achieved phenomenal success in the um, in the, uh, the cattle rearing stakes. Well, cattle, anyway. Um, animal rearing stakes, because God says, no, "You bozo, what you've been doing is ridiculous." But I've given you success. God is so. Jacob is spared his pride. Again, we don't get that. We don't get the Lord saying, "By the way, that you know you filled in those CVs and you got that qualification, and you know you're you are very good with people, and so you think you got that position." It was, all, it was all down to me, says the Lord. We don't have those conversations. So the temptation for us is to become proud. We might think success, our successful careers, I don't know, successful churches, successful... We might think it's all down to us and our brilliance. And here's a reminder you might think that because on the stage of this world it looks like it's just down to you but the the, the director has orchestrated all this success comes from him you want to give thanks to him i was uh, thinking about this so i picked up again this week uh outliers you know the um Malcolm Gladwell book, I think it's his best book for what it's worth, but anyway, uh, it outlies the, uh, the story of success. If you've not read it, it's, it's an entertaining read, and um, I guess what would be the main highlights of the book. Uh, to be successful, you have to put in 10,000 hours at something. There's no shortcut if you want to be a successful um, uh, cello player or baseball player or whatever it is. You have to put in 10,000 hours or you'll never be any good at anything. That's one thing. But, of course, the other big thing in the book, to my mind, the point he makes is so much success... His word is luck. You're just born at the right time, in the right place. So I think the, the favourite example that everyone, pick, you know, that uh, pick, people pick up on. If you want to be a, uh, a technology billionaire, you really want to be born in the US in 1955 like Bill Gates was and Steve Jobs was and others who are mildly less famous. You really want to be born then because then you're just entering college in the early 70s when computers are going from the size of this building to, you know, little boxes that you can play with. And you're just... You're there to crest the wave when it takes off. Of course you need to be bright and of course you need to put in the hours. But if you're 18 and a bit geeky, you will just spend hours... um, (laughs) Uh, programming computers, if you're of that sort of ilk. So he said, yeah, so five years earlier, five years later, they would have been good at their jobs, but they wouldn't have been billionaires. Because it's just, you have to crest the wave at the right time. So you see, even, even sort of secular observers will say, success in this world. Of course, part of it is down to your own labours. 10% is the figure that often gets banded around. says you're given, the place you're born, the education you receive, not down to you. Even secular observers can say success is not down to you. But in a much more profound way here, success comes from the Lord. So this week, the whatever it may be, the project you finish, the deal you strike, the case you win, the pupil you teach, the patient you save, the canvas you fill—those things go well. That's the Lord. Of course, you've got to put in your own efforts. You don't pass exams by lying in bed and saying, "I trust God, I trust God." No, you don't do neither. You've got to work. But behind it all, success comes from the Lord. Trust him. Lean upon him. Don't be puffed up with your own importance. Success comes from him. And if you think differently from that, if you think, well, that's all very well and good, but, uh, you know, I have achieved greatness, to be honest, or I am very successful, and it's all very well you're saying that, but I put in the hours in the office. Yeah, of course, of course. But if you think success is primarily down to you, you are no better than Jacob. And you might as well go and strip the willow and wave it over your computer tomorrow. You're no better than him if you think success is primarily yours. Comes from the Lord. Success comes from him. We don't get a director's cut one. Success comes from the Lord. Third little thing, Laban. Sin can lead into self-delusion. Laban here is enormously entertaining, I find. Or wicked, depends upon how you want to look at it. But his sin leads him into real self-delusion. He's a classic example of the damaging impact that sin can have on you. It can make you a little bit well blind. So let me give you some examples, let me run through it. So uh, chapter 31, verse 26, let's look at Laban. Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? How dare you, you've deceived me. Laban, you put the wrong... Woman, in his bed. You made him work for seven years. You made him sleep with the wrong daughter. How can you be outraged that he's deceived you? Laban. You can't complain. You deceived me, he says. Ridiculous. Or even in the same verse, you've carried off my daughters. I love my daughters. What are you talking about? You traded your daughters for labour, excuse me, for Jacob's labour. You don't love your daughters, verse twenty-eight. Oh, you didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren, my daughters goodbye. You've done a. F- I'm such a loving father. How dare you've done this to me? But what did the daughters actually say? How did the daughters feel about this? Do you see? Back in chapter thirty, verse fifteen. Ah, Dad, does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us. He's used up all the money. So Laban stands there and says, Jacob, you're a rascal, you know, you've deceived me. Laban, you're the deceiver. And I love my daughters and my grandchildren. Laban, do you know their names? You sold your daughters. You're complaining to Jacob and your daughters are there in front of you going, <laughs> they say nothing in this narrative because Laban is a, he's a cad. He's not a nice man. But he thinks he's a loving father. I mean, ironically, this is great irony. Um, by the time you get to chapter, excuse me, we haven't read it, we didn't have it read, but it's 31 verse 50. He makes Jacob swear an oath. If you ill-treat my daughters, or if you take any wives beside my daughters, even though no one's with us, remember that God is a witness between you and me. He, maybe you gave him two daughters. You made him sleep. What are you talking about? You don't like your daughters. He's self-deluded or chapter, excuse me, verse 43 of chapter 31. Laban says to Jacob, the women are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, all you see is mine. No, no, and no. The daughters you sold to Jacob, the children are his. The The flocks you struck a deal, 10%. No, no, no. Laban is a man who is self-absorbed and can only see things from his perspective? Sin has led him to be self-deluded. It's utterly self-justifying nonsense. It's a completely cockeyed view. Maybe think of um, I remember reading something uh, an interview with Robert Garby it was years ago, but he said, "Oh, I don't know how you deal with um, Tony Blair in Britain. He's such a wicked man. How do you put up with him?" I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Robert Mugabe—that's just a cockeyed, self-justifying nonsense. So we get with Laban. Sin has led him to self-delusion here. Well, so what? Well, let me just ask two questions, just to make sure we're not in the same camp. Two questions. The first is this: When was the last time that the Lord challenged your, some area of your life? and you thought, I am a wretched sinner. When was the last time the Lord challenged an area of your life and you thought, yeah, I am, I am awful. Good grief, I need Jesus to die for me. Or do we just sort of bobble through life saying, I confess, I'm a sinner, but you know, it's not too bad. When was the last time? Or slightly differently, when was the last time you read something in the Bible or heard something preached and you sat down afterwards and thought, I need to I need to repent and change my life. Something needs to change as a consequence of what I've just read or heard. And if you sit there and think, I don't know, I don't know when was the last time I genuinely thought I was hopelessly sinful. I genuinely thought I've got to change that, that needs addressing. And if you can't think of the last time for either of those, well, that's a Laban-esque pattern of living. Self-justifying. You just see everything from your own viewpoint. can't see anyone else. You can't see your own mistakes. Just see the mistakes of others. You wicked deceiver, Jacob, you. I would never be as deceptive as you. The Christian life is one of repentance and faith. Every day. It's a wonderful thing to start the day. Open a Bible, you read something, and in response to what you read, Lord, I I confess. I have failed. One of these things, Lord, I confess. I do take enormous pride in my achievements, and I fail to recognize they're yours. I confess that's true. And how wonderful that Jesus never did that, and that my faith is in him that he always acknowledged you as Father who gave him all that he had. The Christian life is repentance and faith. If you don't live that way, well, you're a Laban. And sin is blinding you to your self-justification. Four things. One, we don't get the director's cut. Two, success comes from the Lord. Three, sin can lead to self-delusion. Four, briefly, it's very easy to hedge our bets, which is what we see the characters doing here. Rachel. Rachel says, okay, um, her and Leah, uh, chapter 31, verse 14, 15, okay, we're with you, we're with you, uh, particularly chapter 31, verse 16, Rachel can say, all the wealth that God took away from our Father belongs to us, our children. Do whatever God has told you. God has made us wealthy. Your God has made us wealthy, Jacob. So what does Rachel do? Verse 19. When Laban goes out to shear his sheep, Rachel steals her father's household gods. What? What? Why would you do that? She's got to hedge her bets. Okay, Jacob, your God has made us wealthy, but he might let us down in the future, so let me just nick Daddy's idols and um maybe they'll protect us. Maybe we'll have to whip them out just in case your God lets us down. So she hedges her bets. Or Jacob. Jacob repeatedly is able to confess. The Lord has done this. So um, uh, the Lord has uh, provided the Lord he knows that the Lord has given him success, he's had this dream. And yet verse 20 Moreover, Jacob was deceived Laban the Aramain by not telling him he was running away. Why? Verse 31. I was afraid. I was afraid. Jacob, the Lord has given you everything the Lord has said, I will be with you to protect you. Laban has just told you. God gave him a dream to say, you leave Jacob alone. Why are you afraid? Because once again, he's hedging his bets. There's Rachel. Yeah, I know God has provided in the past, but about the future. Let's just have an insurance plan for the future. Or there's Jacob, I know God has given me all I've got, but when I stand in front of someone who's a bit intimidating, I'll just go to jelly and can't trust the Lord anymore. And isn't that just typical of you and me? Okay, I can look back and say, God has provided. God has provided thus far. And in the future, well, let's just have a little insurance policy, just in case he doesn't. Or God has given me wonderful gifts. Oh, he's terrifying! I just can't. I've got to run away. That's normal, typical. And when you read stuff like that, and when you realise it in your own heart, don't you, don't you long to be different? To stop saying mentally, "The Lord is sovereign, God exists, I know He's in charge," and I know those things in my head, but when it goes to Monday, I just got to. I've got to look after myself. And it's all about me. Don't you long to be different? Don't you long to move on? To grow up a bit, spiritually? So that you do genuinely trust the Lord. More, increasingly. I read this this week and thought, I long to move on. How do we do so? Very briefly. Look up and trust your father for success. Look up. Trust your father for success. problem in this chapter, particularly 31, everyone recognizes there's a God. Everyone recognizes there's a God who's in charge. None of them say he's my God. So Rachel and Leah, chapter 31, verse 16. God took the wealth away from our father. Do whatever God has told you. Not my God. Not my Lord. Or Laban, Chapter 31 verse 29, I have the power to harm you, but last night the God of your father said to me, "Your God. I know there's a God, but he's not my God. Even Jacob, chapter 31 verse 42, we didn't quite get there in the reading, but chapter 31, 42, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my hardship and the toll of my hands. Last night he rebuked you. The God of my father. Jacob is essentially like the little schoolboy. who says, my daddy knows God. My daddy knows God. Do you know God? No, but my daddy does. That's what he's saying. But he's a 60-year-old man. My dad's God has looked after me. What none of them in this chapter, these chapters say is, none of them say, my Lord and my God And that's the difference. So very easily you and I can go through life functionally saying, I know the Lord rules over all, I know there's a God, I know He's sovereign. But is He sovereign over my life? Is He my Lord and my God? Is He my Father? That's what makes the difference. Not having God as an abstract out there. Yes, I heard again on Sunday night that the Lord is sovereign. It's, it's nice to know the Lord is sovereign. Is he your Lord? And your God? As we share the Lord's Supper together now, hear the words of Christ that he died for you. His body was given for you. His blood was shed for you. Trust him. Not as, yes, I go to church where they believe in God. Yes, I I know a God. I've heard of him. He is my Lord and my God and my Father. Because I have one who's so much better than Jacob. As we're looking at this narrative of Jacob, essentially what takes place is Jacob leaves the promised land with nothing goes into exile and God generously blesses him with enormous wealth. Of course, by contrast, the Lord Jesus Christ left his land of enormous wealth and plenty, entered exile of this planet, and God gave him poverty, death. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that you might become rich. He's your God. And your Father, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ. And we need to get that in. So that we don't just think, yes, I'm aware that there is a God who is powerful. But we say, I trust my Lord and my God and my Father because of the work of my Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, it's a strange story, but thank you for the riches of these chapters. You, In this place, in the scriptures, showing us that what we see in this world, what we humans get to see, the actors on this planet, is not always genuinely what's taking place. How encouraging to know that you are the director and you have a plan. Would we therefore not trust in our own achievements and successes, but recognize success comes from you? not be blinded by our sin, but have our eyes open to see our faults and live by repentance and faith. And would we know you as our Lord and as our Father. Father, for each of us here this evening, you know the areas where we're struggling to trust you. And for those who know Jesus Christ, would we know you as our God and our Father and our Lord, who we can trust in our scenario. And Father, trusting you, would we live to praise your name. Amen.